mean, when I started guiding, it was very much a profession for people who did it for what we call pin money. It was people who were just doing a little job. Hello, and welcome to The Low Season, a podcast about tour guiding, tourism, and the future of travel. My name is Wouter Bernhardt. I'm a tour guide from Berlin. And today I'm speaking to one of the legends of London's guiding profession, Jeannie Carmichael. Jeannie is originally from Cardiff in Wales, but has been living in a suburb of London called Islington for the past 40 years. It was in 1982 that Jeannie passed her Blue Badge tour guiding exams, and she's one of the founding members of the Association of Professional Tourist Guides in London. We spoke about the famous Blue Badge license, the Unite Union, a union for the self-employed, and how she thinks the pandemic will impact her beloved city. Here is Jeannie Carmichael. Um, I volunteered and what I do is I deliver medicines to housebound people. So that takes up maybe three hours of my day and it gives me a purpose, gives me something to do. When did you start doing that? Uh, oh, I've been doing that now for a couple of, uh, well, gosh, maybe six weeks. Okay, but so relatively soon after you realized there was not going yeah. to be any jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure. And we're very lucky here because our guiding association has organized all kinds of online lectures and talks. So every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at four o'clock London time, um, if you go onto our website, Guide London, there are lectures on on various topics and anybody can can listen that is that is beautiful um tell me tell me a bit about that association because i understand that you are one of the founding members of that that association yes we're called the association of professional tourist guides uh we're affiliated to one of the biggest trade unions in this country which is called unite but we are an independent organization within the union we're a very active branch. You know, we look after London guides. We have monthly meetings. You know, we talk about and decide about all guiding issues. We have big social programs, big learning programs, you know, uh, in the off season. Yeah, we're a very active organization. What does it take to become a member of the association? Well, you have to be a registered London Blue Badge guide. Okay, so there, in in... London, can you be a guide without a license? Um, Unfortunately, yes. Guiding is not as strictly regulated here as it is in other countries. So there are quite a lot of um, organizations offering guided tours, not with properly trained guides. It's one of our problems. And and what what do you see as the the main problem of these uh, sort of unlicensed guides? Well, it's the quality. It's the quality of the product that they're delivering. You know, sometimes they're they're students who who are reading from a script or they have just one day's training or something like this. You know, we train for two years minimum. Wow. That is, uh, it's also something in, uh, for example, in Berlin, we don't have any license. Uh, There is a a license sometimes for certain palaces if you want to go into um, uh, certain gardens or places where you would normally don't have access. You, you, You have to have a license, but in general, you can guide without a license. And I think part of the sort of the how do you say, the authority of your guiding profession comes from the companies that you work for. So they don't hire you unless you have a certain degree of knowledge about what you do. 
Okay, but how, how would they know unless you are licensed? Well, uh, I assume that the people working for the the company uh, the companies are either run by experienced guides or people that are um, yeah sort of affiliated with the the, the tourism industry. Um, I have, for example, had to do uh, both to become a member of our guides association, but also to be a, a part of of the company I work for. One of the companies had to do uh, a mock tour, like of course show that you have the skills. Um, go to certain places that you don't know exactly uh, up front and then show that you're capable of delivering decent content. Oh, I see. So so who who examines that? Is it the companies that are employing you? Yeah, it's the companies and in 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 the with the guides association it's of course the board members. Oh, I see. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a mixed panel. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, this is something I'm I'm very interested in because um, I speak to guides all over um, the world at the moment, and in some cities, in some places they do have a license, in other places they do not, um, and I'm I'm very interested in in the, both the advantage and the disadvantages of this license. Um, you clearly are a proponent of this license. Um, I do think one of the 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 advantages that you get from having a license is not only that you have uh, guides that know what they're talking about, um, but also it gives the profession of tour guiding um, a bit more legitimacy. Uh, many guides, for example, in Berlin, they have always felt that they are doing it a bit on the site, uh, also because they feel that their profession as guides has it's not always been taken seriously so much. Oh, you can say that again. I mean, this is one reason why we formed our association. I mean, when I started guiding, it was very much a profession for people who did it for what we call pin money, you know, not not people who were paying their mortgages, not people it was their main income for. It was people who were just doing a little job, shall I say. So we felt that tourism is a very serious industry. It's important and it needed to be more regulated. Yeah. What well, one of the um, the, the arguments against having a license, though, and I actually got just got off, off the phone with somebody um, who was a bit mixed up about it, somebody in Israel, um, and she spoke about the fact that she had to study about two years, and she thinks it's great that she got the opportunity to study, but she said, there's such a variety of things I had to know. It is unfortunate that people, for example, who just know a lot about architecture don't have the opportunity to become a guide or a licensed tour here in Israel simply because they don't, are not willing to study for another two years to study about the flora and fauna, to study about the history. They just want to talk about the architecture and they don't have the opportunity to do so. Okay, uh, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose. But uh, I just feel it's very important to protect standards. Um, the problem is, of course, the cost. I mean, here now, the, the present cost is six and a half thousand pounds wow. for the two-year course. But we do have some grants. You know, we have some charities that will help people who can't afford that. It's a very difficult guide training course. I understand it's one of the most difficult in the world. But on the other hand, it has a very uh, a lot of prestige. You know, I'm very proud to have my blue badge. Oh, and I, I can imagine. Um, and I, I do also hear heard from people in, in Budapest that you get some of the most, yeah, sorry, like most, how do you say that? People with the most knowledge in their heads. You can ask them anything and they'll have something for you. Um, 
another another thing that I find interesting is the aspect of what a guide should have and and maybe also the market. I mean, is there enough if you would if you get rid of all the guides without a license in London, how would you service all those people uh, that just want to have maybe just a little frivolous tour of London itself? Well, I mean, we do have 1,200 licensed guides in London. Mm. And to be honest, um, a good guide will assess immediately their clientele. Do you know what I mean? I can do silly if I have children. Yeah, I can do serious if I have, you know, intellectuals. Isn't that a part of the skill of being a guide? So within 30 seconds, you, you see what people want. Oh, I, I absolutely. I, I'm not. I'm just not sure whether um, a license, if if they train you for that, or if it's just a test in history and and knowledge. Oh yes, absolutely. Yes, we have practical tours. A, lo- a lot of it is training you in in if you like the skill of delivery, almost the psychology of it, if you like. Because I think that's a very interesting part of our job, don't you? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. One of the, or the other thing that I've uh, picked up, uh, which I find very interesting, you have, of course, the Guides Association, but it's also a part or a member of the bigger union. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what that means exactly for the Guides being members of that union? Sure. What, what that means is we have the protection of a big trade union, which, for example gives us um, liability, public liability insurance up to two million pounds. So if I fail to point out, say, an uneven paving stone, somebody falls over it and sues me, you know, the union will help me. There's a, there's a big legal department that will help us with any legal problems. There's a lot of advantages, you know, to being in a union. What 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 um, other people are part of this union? Like, what what kind of category of, of occupations and professions are you part of? Well, we chose this particular union because it's uh, the main one that specialises in self-employed people, such as, for example, Church of England vicars, um, British Airways staff are, you know, at the moment being fought for by our union, because you can imagine they're all losing their jobs, bless them. You know, there's a wide variety of different professions in this union altogether. People who work for, you know, charities, just just maybe individual sort of people who don't fit in into any uh, sort of more broad main category then. Yeah, I, I think one of the main bits of conversations I've, I've been having with well, guides, as I said, from all over the world now, is this balance between um, being a freelancer and having the time and the freedom to make your own schedule, to, to do or take two months holiday if you want to, uh, say no to certain jobs, take other jobs that you like. On the other hand, not having the social security, um, unemployment insurance, uh, paying into a pension scheme, all those kind of things. Um, and I've been wondering whether, like, I've been asking a, qu- a question quite like the idea of being freelancer or being employed doesn't seem to be so much of a choice at the moment because for tour guides, there hardly is a choice. There isn't a choice to be employed. Sure. That's the same in this country. There's 
I mean, some very few companies would have what they call contract guides, you know, that they will give a contract to for six months, a year, whatever. But that's rare. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I suppose it's a win-win situation for the companies, isn't it? They can use you when they need you and when they don't need you. Well, it's tough. Mm. Yeah, I, I just think it, it, it's an interesting thing. Like, I, I feel like it's also part of the profession being taken seriously. One of them is a license that could be a very, very uh, big step for professionalism. But the other thing I felt many guides, especially among my colleagues here in Berlin, struggling with is they are just sort of doing it on the whim of of the companies they work for and always when there is work and when the companies feel like working with them. I feel like a big step for guides in taking themselves and their profession seriously could be employment. Mm. On the other hand, it can work both ways, can't it? I mean, for the last few years, which have been ever since the 2012 Olympics, tourism has been booming in London. It's really given guides more power. I can really decide now what job, or at least I could until this happened, you know, what job I want. I can, if you like, cherry pick the best jobs and state my terms. Hmm. You can't have it both ways, can you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always the, the good times versus the bad times, I guess. Yeah. And if you have any sense, you, you lay aside money in the good times and yeah. the bad times. Because, I mean, I have had a very long guiding career. I mean, I've lived through 9-11. I've lived through the bombing of Libya. You know, lots lots of, unfortunately, terrible years. How is How does this one compare? Oh, this is worse. This is primarily because you can't see an end of it. It's so uncertain. You, you don't know what the heck is going to happen. Yeah. And to be honest, our government is not being at all precise about things, which I suppose it must be difficult to be, but we we all feel as if we're living in limbo land, really. We don't quite know what, what the heck is going to happen. Well, we, I, I read the newspapers. I, I try to stay up to date with not just Germany, but also, of course, where I, I'm from the Netherlands originally. Uh, I, I try to read the news about um, the UK, about the United States. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly, but it, it does seem like the UK is, is struggling a little bit at the moment. I, what is your take on this living in London, a big city, many people living there? Do, do you feel that, um, yeah, the situation is sort of under control at the moment? Where do you see the UK heading? Oh, absolutely not. I think the situation is shameful. And many people agree with me. I mean, we are the the fifth most powerful economy in the world, and we are being outperformed on every level. We can't even deliver, you know, masks and gloves to the hospitals and the care homes. Mm. There's so little testing being done. It's it's outrageous. If you look at the death toll in the United Kingdom, it's horrifying. You know, we should be hanging our heads in shame. You have been living in London for forty years, if if, if I'm correct. Years, yes. What, what do you think the impact of this virus will be for the city of London? Um, I feel like many cities, of course, are also very much uh, dependent on people coming to travel into it. Uh, there is a certain kind of lifestyle, a certain uh, distance that you have as citizens of London. I, I visited last year. I, I, there was lots of people um, 
small streets. It gave you a really nice sense of like sort of a, a little town in many ways. What, what do you think the impact of this pandemic will be on, on the London of the future? What I think is heartbreaking. Um, London has always been such a center for theater, for restaurants. I mean, for example, before lockdown, every night, apart from Sundays, you could see 80 different shows, plays. 40,000 restaurants, wine bars, cafes, such an exciting, cosmopolitan, vibrant city. And many of these businesses will not survive the pandemic. The small museums, many of them will not survive. London Zoo is on the point of close down. The world will look different and it won't be as various or as exciting. It'll, it'll be different. What about you? What are you planning for the next couple of months? Um, I think best case, I, I don't expect to work this year. I, I don't see how that can happen. Um, schools, I do quite a bit of school work, but then how on earth do you socially distance, you know, two meters apart children? That That's not going to work. No, I, I'm hoping that next year, People will start to travel slowly again, but I don't think the industry will recover in any way until uh, 2022. Uh, well, Jeannie, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I really appreciate your your insights and how London London is doing, but also on the on the the profession uh, of guiding uh, in general. Oh, not at all. I'm sorry, it's been a bit depressing. But one thing, <laughs> British people are we are tough. You know, and uh, like 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 your country, the Dutch. You know, we've been through a lot, and we've come out smiling. So you know, we are we are in this for the long run. We will come out on the other side. It'll be a different London, but it'll still be a fabulous London. Thank you so much, Jeannie. I wish you a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, dear. Bye. Stay safe. That was Jeannie Carmichael from world famous London City. I really enjoyed our chat about the license and regulations around guiding, because what is it exactly that a guide needs to be able to do? Clearly, not lie to your customers and make sure they feel welcome in your city. But does a guide need a six and a half thousand pound two year guiding degree to show people around? I mean, the city of London clearly doesn't think so, otherwise it would make the license mandatory. They allow companies to hire whomever they want with or without a license and leave it up to the customers to decide which companies to choose from. Well, I mean, we do have 1,200 licensed guides in London. And still, there's a huge amount of guides that evidently find it worthwhile to obtain the license. These guides see it as a chance to invest in themselves, to be able to enrich your understanding of the city and be able to pass it on to your visitors. What do you think? How are things regulated in your country, in your city? Should a license be mandatory? And what kind of skill set should a guide be trained for? If you like, you can join to discuss this particular question in our Facebook group called The Low Season Real Talk. If you enjoyed this episode and like listening to the podcast in general, let me know. Say hi by sending a message to thelowseasonpodcast at gmail.com. I've added all relevant links in the notes of the show. That includes a link to the Guide London website, of which Jeannie is a proud member. They frequently post interesting blogs, and the site lets you book a guide for a virtual tour of London. We're back on Friday with Alexander Schmidtke from St. Petersburg. 
the governor uh, has encouraged uh, all like jobless people to do manual labor at construction sites for a whopping of 24,000 rubles. The Low Season is produced by me, Wouter Bernhardt. Music is by Mark Schilders. Artwork by Christopher White. Georgia Riungu is the bubbles in your soda. Speak soon, my friends. You know, there's a wide variety of different professions in this union. Just, just maybe individual sort of people who don't fit in into any uh, sort of more broad main category. Then.